One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 17 Educational Decree Number 24. Harry felt happier for the rest of the weekend than he had done all term. He and Ron spent much of Sunday catching up with all their homework again, and although this could hardly be called fun, the last burst of autumn sunshine persisted. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, do I look different? Something has changed within you. Something is not the same. It's true. It's because I am now part of the Nerdy Cool Kids Club, Night Vale Presents. We're on Night Vale Presents. We are so glad to be part of our new home at Night Vale Presents. We're so proud to be among the amazing list of podcasts that are part of this network. And we're excited that you, all our community and listeners, are part of this with us. So you'll notice the increased quality of Ariana's editing, the smarter commentary of Vanessa's insight, and sadly you won't be able to see, but my legs look fabulous today. They do. (laughs) Casper, it is your turn to tell a story this week. What have you got for us? Well, I have two passports. I have a British passport because I was born in London, and I have a Dutch passport because both my parents are Dutch. And now, of course, for the last nearly seven years, I've lived in the U.S., and I have a green card. 
And so whenever the Olympics happen or like any sort of sporting tournament happens in which one or more of these countries takes part, I have to make a decision about who am I going to support. America. (laughs) USA, USA. To be honest, that's the main reason not to support America. America. And in some sports, it's very easy to decide. Is it field hockey Obviously, it's going to be Holland. It's like one of the most important sports in Holland. Obviously. Is it going to be ice skating? A hundred percent. Again, Holland. Is it going to be rugby or cricket? A hundred percent. It's going to be England. But nonetheless, it's this weird moment where I have to decide, like, which part of me am I going to lift up and which part of me am I going to push down? And it sounds really silly and small, but like during the Olympics, I will check the medals table multiple times a day as if it has something to say about who I am. So what I'm grappling with is like, why do I lift up certain parts of myself? Like, why why do I give them supremacy over other parts of myself? And why is it always geared in this like way about there has to be a winner and a loser and that somehow I feel better about myself If the physical territory where I was born or the physical territory where my parents were born produced people who happened to be good at a sport that the rest of the world says it cared about. It's so absurd when you start thinking about it like that. And yet it still means so much to me because it somehow makes me feel better about who I am. And the more I think about this theme of supremacy through this chapter, the more icky I start to feel about that. Ooh, well, I am super excited to jump into this topic with you. But first, I'm going to exert my supremacy over you in the 30-second recap challenge. Okay, Vanessa, here we go. 30 seconds on the clock. Three, two, one. Stop. Umbridge is wreaking havoc on Hogwarts. Hedwig has been attacked with its little broken wing. And Snape is being humiliated. And you know that things are upside down when I'm like, poor Snape. <laughs> and Harry takes Hedwig up to the to the teacher's lounge in order for Hedwig to be healed. And Trelawney is really upset because she's been put on academic probation. And they're expecting Umbridge to turn up in, like, Binz's class and she's not there. Um, and um, what's-her-face smokes cigars? Nice. Grubbly plank. Wilhelmina grubbly plank. I love it. I do not smoke cigars, but I was like, Wilhelmina does. Maybe I should. (laughs) Are you ready to reign supreme? (laughs) Bring it on. On your mark. Get set. Go. Yes, Umbridge is wreaking havoc. Things are all over the place. Um, uh, Neville attacks Malfoy because he insults, um, you know, people who are hurt and in St. Mungo's. Mm-hmm. And um, also the decree is posted and like the Gryffindor uh, Quidditch team isn't allowed to reform yet. And she's like delaying it, even though she gave Slytherin permission, which is not fair. And then right at the very end, um, uh, Harry has agreed to meet with Sirius and talk in the in the fire. But then suddenly um, Sirius is like, oh, my God, what's going on? And retreats and then they see a hand. In the fireplace. Wow, I had to pull that back from the brink, people. You did great. So my story, Vanessa, was about sports. And I think in some ways it's a helpful place to start because it is so much about competition, right? About one person being better than the other one. One person winning or one team winning and the other person losing. And of course, Quidditch is very present in this chapter. And I've talked about before on the podcast that flying and and Quidditch especially is a place where Harry gets to feel powerful. He gets to feel free and strong and especially in a competitive element, right? They've won the cup a couple times at this point. He gets to feel a bit of that supremacy. We're the best, right? We're better than you. And now that Umbridge is withholding that, that the team can't play, 
it's taking away an element of his feeling of power and supremacy. And so it's interesting to me the way that he acts with this kind of hanging over his head. And Angelina specifically says to him, like, please behave because, you know, Umbridge at this point clearly can do what she wants and anything that you do can put the whole team at risk. Yeah. The other interesting thing to me in this moment between Angelina and Harry around Quidditch is that I think we see Harry's white male privilege reveal itself here because Angelina comes up to Harry and is like, Quidditch practice is off until we get approval. Like, we haven't been approved. And Harry and Ron are both like, wait, what? And Angelina's like, hey, you dodo brains. (laughs) Umbridge can take away Quidditch. That Mm. Quidditch is included. And it didn't even occur to Ron and Harry that Quidditch was at stake. And I'm just curious if part of the reason that Angelina sees that so quickly is because she's black and a woman. And she understands that things can be taken away very easily. Whereas Ron and Harry, obviously, they have their trials and tribulations. But they, you know, sort of believe that an inherent amount of privilege is just going to follow them through. And I think that to some extent, that is why Harry gets so mad, right? It didn't even occur to him that Quidditch could be taken away. He thinks of it as like a basic human right. And Angelina's like, no, it's not. It is a privilege that can be taken away from you. This reminds me so much of kind of a language change in my mind that my friend DJ introduced me to. You know, so often we talk about uh, people who are marginalized or, or, or marginalized groups. And one of the invitations he offered was to think instead of people who, who are prophetic or prophetic groups, literally because of what you're saying, which is that people at the edge can see things that people at the center of power can't. And I think this is a, a beautiful illustration that she's like, for whatever, you know, the systems of structural racism that live within the wizarding world and beyond it in ours, Angelina is able to navigate and see what's going to happen before people close to the center are able to. And therefore, it's important to listen to what she's saying. I just found that such a, a helpful reframe. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so interesting about that is that if you are busy telling yourself the story all the time of supremacy, of like, oh, I'm Dutch and therefore... We win. Right? Then you're not looking outside of yourself. You're, Mm. right, telling yourself a story of supremacy all the time takes a lot of work. We see this with the way that white supremacy is on the rise in the United States. Like, the reason that there are violent attacks is because you need to constantly be demonstrating your supremacy, Mm. which it's like a full-time job. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's been a ton of neuroscience that if you are a person in a position of power or you have that kind of position of supremacy, that you're less likely to have empathy for people at a lower status than yourself. And so I just even think about it like if, let's say, Holland is competing in in the World Badminton Championships, right? Like, no one is getting through. And so very quickly, if I want to be engaged in a game, I've got to choose someone else to support, or, or I have to just enjoy the beauty of the game. But usually a game is fun when you have a stake in it. And so, like, I have to practice a little more empathy because I have to cross some sort of imagined boundaries that help me live into, let's say, the sports person from Vietnam or from wherever. And so th- there's something about, I think, th- that element of being in a marginalized or prophetic role where you literally have insight because you're empathizing more with other people. I'm just wondering what the draw of telling ourselves story about supremacy is really about. Is it about control? Right. I think that, you know, we see Draco in this chapter being a complete jerk, right, and making fun of people from St. Mungo's. 
that is a cultural norm for Slytherin, right? We learned at the beginning of this book that Slytherin only wanted the pure-blood wizards and only wanted the best. And so this is a culture of supremacy that has been passed down. And I wonder if that's about control and saying this is the boundary of who we are and this is the boundary of who we're not, and therefore we will take care of ourselves and not of you. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pointing to something really interesting about the houses and how they think each of them, to some extent, are the best. Mm -hmm. And so Slytherin, it is really about purity of blood, right? This imagined lineage of purity. The boundary that they install is actually not at all a meritocratic one. It's also not a real one. Right. Because you can be born a wizard with muggle parents. Like, this is a completely socially constructed idea, this pure-blood idea. But then you look at the other houses, and you, Ravenclaw also makes a boundary, right? I only want the brightest. I want the smartest. There's another element of supremacy, right? We are better than you because we are cleverer than you. And then Gryffindor says, well, I want the bravest. And then Hufflepuff really – this is what I love about Hufflepuff, about Helga – is that she completely negates that whole narrative. She doesn't want the best of anything. Yep. And she says, I'll take the lot. I'll take the lot. It's not the leftovers, right? Nah. It's not. She's not purposefully going for the worst of anything. We see amazing Hufflepuffs throughout these books. That's what's so powerful, I think, about her stake in the ground. And it's an indictment, frankly, not just on Slytherin, who we are always talking about, but on Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, too. Absolutely. And I think that's what I see in myself with this sport team stuff is that, like, it's small, but it feels like a Ravenclaw kind of situation, right? Like, it just strengthens the whole narrative. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think about that a lot in terms of my Judaism, right? Mm. I try to disassociate myself from my Judaism on a, like, one-to-one level in the news. So if a Jewish person wins a Nobel Prize, I'm not like, yeah, Jews. And then if a Jewish person does something atrocious like Bernie Madoff, I'm not like, oh, man, Jews. Because I, I think we're individuals, and I think it isn't helpful in order to see everybody out in the world as representing mm. me in that way. However, I am very proud to be a Jew. And, you know, certainly when the synagogue in Pittsburgh was attacked, I felt like brothers and sisters were in that room. And that is something that I want to feel. I I want to feel part of a culture. I am a part of this tribe, right? Mm. It's complicated because we want to be proud. We want to have a sense of identity. We want to have a sense of culture and home. But also we don't want to be thinking of ourselves as supreme, right? It's about loving the specificity and not in comparison. Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, and this is frankly what, like, in some ways, the Olympics could be. Yeah. And I love the Olympics. Like, I I really do. Because as a vision of what it could be, it's about the sense of people who come from a particular place each contributing to a festival that is of this bigger whole. The possibility of the Olympics is something that would honor the best archer from every country in the world coming to to compete in a glorious festivity of the, the power of being human. But what I end up focusing on is like, well, who got the most medals? Because that has something to say about how good we are as a people in some absurd way. But do, do you know what I mean? Like there's oh, something yeah. about celebrating, like what if there was no medals table? Well, and I do it, too. Like, I love finding out when someone I love already is Jewish. I'm like, oh, they are? (laughs) Oh, I do that with gays in history. I'm like, James II? (laughs) Like, there is something, right, of feeling kindred with people you have an affinity to. 
there's something about celebrating intimacy versus celebrating the supremacy. Yeah, this this question of how do we encounter supremacy without letting it seep into us, I think is a is a real question. Right? How are we like yeah, I am proud that I lived at Harvard for seven years without being like, and it's cool because Harvard's the best. I wonder if we have an experience that actually can teach us something here. We, as students at the Divinity School, was, of course, founded as a, as a Protestant institution. And for many years, the kind of common worship on a Wednesday just became like more and more watered down, but still very essentially Protestant in shape. And it was the same every week. And at some point, Kerry Maloney, who directs the the Office of Spiritual Life, said, why don't we allow every different group, because by this point, there were Muslims and Buddhists and Jews and various types of Christians and everything else. Why don't we let everyone offer their particularity in its full flavor and we'll rotate? And I loved that as a student coming in to be able to participate fully in like Buddhist chant and then hear like a Baptist preacher go all in and then like witness a Catholic mass. There was something in that which really felt like we were able to celebrate everyone's particularity, at least attempting to dismantle that kind of Christian supremacy within the culture and to to invite everyone as much as they felt comfortable to step into another's reality. Like, what if every semester everyone was in the same house, right? Like spring semester, everyone is a Hufflepuff. Autumn semester, everyone's a Ravenclaw. And we really try and live into the best of what that founder imagined for the school. Yes. I really hope that the house system is dismantled by now. It's 2019, people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter.
Vanessa, I read a story recently which I really liked as an image of how we can be fully in the things that we're good at or stand in our power. And it's uh, from this wonderful book about the Jewish spiritual path of Musa. And in it tells a story about Rabbi Chatzel Abramsky, who apparently was like one of the most learned rabbis in all of Europe. And he's giving testimony in a court. And the judge asks him, you know, are you the greatest living Jewish legal authority in Europe? And he answers, yes. That is true. And the judge then says, but Rabbi Abramsky, is that not rather haughty on your part? I thought that your laws and ethics teach you to be humble. To which the rabbi says, I know we ought to be humble, but what can I do? I am under oath. And so he's just like, yeah, like I am the greatest living scholar. And I'm not throwing that in your face, right? Like you've given me that description, but I'm also not going to step away from the thing that I'm really good at. So Vanessa, I'm ending up with this question of, Can it ever be useful to say, I'm better than someone else? Whether it's about a specific thing that you can do or even on a moral level? I think yes. I've had two surgeries in the last six months. And by like all accounts, the second surgeon was a better surgeon than the first. And I wish that I had that information up front. I was just like, oh, if they're a surgeon at this renowned hospital, they must be a good surgeon. And I just trusted them. And, like, I was fine, but I had many complications with a much more minor surgery. And so, yeah, I do want to know who is the best. And and I had sort of a not great first grade teacher. And my mom, when it was time for my younger brother to go into the first grade, requested that he not be put with my first grade teacher because she wanted her child to have the best teacher teaching him how to read. And I think that that's okay. I mean, this just gets back to, like, you'll know it by its fruits. Mm. I don't think it's okay for the sake of itself. Like, if you're just in a faculty meeting and it's like, who's the best teacher? Like, (laughs) I don't think that that is productive or helpful. But children learning how to read is like a high stake and surgery is a high stake. And, yeah, I I want the best. Don't you? Yeah, but we can't all be in the best classroom. And so how, how on earth do we make that decision? Yeah. And who gets to make it? Well, and feeling like my child took that spot away from another kid who's just as entitled to that spot. I think it's our responsibility to make a system in which all teachers are good teachers and all surgeons are good surgeons. But Mm. I don't think it's our job to sacrifice our children's ability to learn by giving them a teacher who we know is not up to snuff. And so I think with that information, we have to be saying, okay, like we need to pay teachers more to make sure that like that job is respected and they really have the time and ability to invest in learning these skills. And And that nobody is fundraising on GoFundMe for classroom supplies. Right. But I don't think that it was up to my mom to be like, well, I know this teacher isn't very good, but I'm just going to send my son into it anyway. I think that that's asking us to be like a Kantian level of idealistic that I'm just not even interested in. Mm. So, Vanessa, there's this really interesting moment where some of these structures that we've been talking about really physically engage in the narrative. So at some point, the boys want to rush into the girls' dormitory. And Ron and Harry are kind of beginning to climb the stairs up to where Hermione sleeps. And the stairs suddenly turn into a slide. And they kind of slide all the way down. And I just love this as an image of like... The patriarchy is real. Men have violent tendencies. And Hogwarts, the building, knows how to stop them. (laughs) 
So many things about this are interesting. First of all, that the boys never took it upon themselves to go visit Hermione. Right. And then, two, just because Harry and Ron haven't done this before does not mean that the girls haven't experienced this before because they are all elegantly going down the slide and, like, pop, standing. So, like— they have obviously had this happen to them enough times that they are able to just, like, go down the slide gracefully. But then the other thing is I'm sort of pro-slide. <laughs> I think that right now women are more trustworthy than men, and it is because of thousands of years of patriarchy and a, a sense of supremacy that there has been, like, a training within men that they are entitled to things. Mm. Well, say more what you mean when you say women are more trustworthy. Is is that about specifically experiences of something like someone tried to get into our room, that kind of thing, or or generally around? I think that women have had more experiences of somebody subjugating them and taking away their power, and therefore there is more empathy, and so they are more oh, no, I I didn't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, Mm. whereas men are more oblivious to the fact that they are making women uncomfortable. I don't think that this is intentional. And I'm obviously speaking in, like, wide, (laughs) wide brushstrokes. Like, this is super, super not all men. But I think that there is a culture around American maleness of, right, like, all the things that are stereotyped, but, like, taking up a lot of room on the subway. of Talking more meetings. Right. Interrupting. Like, I think that that creates an echo chamber of entitlement. And so I think until we fix the patriarchy, keep the slide. Well, that's why you're building a feminist production company, Vanessa. It's the metaphorical slide in our world. Vanessa, it's time for a little Chavruta question. So you'll remember that Chavruta is the art of asking a question in the text that we don't know the answer to, but we can propose one potential answer for. One of the best scenes that happens in this chapter is where Snape's potions class is inspected by Umbridge. Umbridge is doing the rounds of all the teachers, and now it's time for her to go down to the dungeons. And she is really harsh on Snape. She has a conversation with him in public that is entirely inappropriate. You know, she says things like, well, didn't you apply for the Defense Against the Dark Arts role? And Snape is like, I think you know I did. And so my question to you is, why does Umbridge publicly humiliate Snape? What is that about? And my answer that I propose is that I think she might suspect Snape of being a double agent. I mean, another potential answer is that she doesn't understand how humiliation works, but I don't think she'd be so good at it if she didn't. So I'm really wondering if she is treating everyone with such suspicion that she thinks Snape is double agent. Oh, I absolutely think that that's what it is. Really? You do? Maybe she doesn't think that he's a double agent, but she thinks that he's allied with Dumbledore. Dumbledore vouched for Snape, and so Snape didn't have to go to Azkaban, right? We heard about that in the Pensieve. And she is cleaning house in any way that she can from people who are more allied to Dumbledore than they are to this, like, thing that she thinks of actually as supreme, right, the ministry. And so I think that, yeah, she thinks that he owes Dumbledore a favor for Dumbledore getting him off or something. I don't know if she suspects he's a double agent, but she knows that she can't trust him. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, my double agent language is too advanced for this moment in the book because, of course— 
Umbridge isn't yet allied in any way with Voldemort overtly. Right, she's not like chaos evil, she's lawful evil. She's exercising the power of the ministry in this landscape of the school. And as you say, anyone who is remotely allied with Dumbledore needs to be viewed with suspicion. And I wonder if Snape has in some way kind of stayed above the fray, right? And that Umbridge is kind of nonplussed by his behavior or, or, or just his sourness to everything. And she she probably wants to push some of his buttons to see how, how does this man tick, you know? Yeah, but I don't understand her strategy in this scene because what good does humiliating him accomplish? How does it help expose anything? Do you know what? Maybe I disagree with you. I think that she's trying to create chaos in Hogwarts. She's like, I'm going to make these children completely disrespect you and, like, realize that you don't even want to be teaching this class. I'm going to take away all authority from you publicly. She is absolutely trying to wreak havoc at Hogwarts. Oh, my goodness. I am so embarrassed that I'm only just seeing this for the first time. But, of course, she's the one who instigates Trelawney's dismissal. She's already been put in probation at this point. I think she wants to get rid of as many loyal Dumbledoreites in order to replace them with her own cadre of teachers that will help her have influence far further in the school. And we're going to see in a couple of chapters that she'll be trying to get rid of Hagrid, and she will use whatever tactic she needs to in order to get rid of them. And I think that she knows that Snape's like sensitive point is pride, and so she will publicly embarrass him. With Trelawney poking at Trelawney, are you really a seer? Is her vulnerability. Hagrid, mm. she'll make fun of him for being a giant. She's like very good at seeing what it is that people are vulnerable at and is just poking them in order to make them look weak. She knows people's vulnerabilities like the back of her hand. No. <laughs> The other thing that I think might threaten her is that for all of its problems, Snape's classes are entirely experiential. Unlike her class where she says sit and read. Exactly. The fact that she is going around and evaluating pedagogy absolutely makes, like, I can't speak, like, steam out of my ears mad. Imagine if this was totally reversed and she was here to finally solve the pedagogy at Hogwarts problem. And, like, she was like, so, Severus, I really saw you encouraging students on this side of the classroom. But on this side (laughs) of the classroom, you had a very different approach. Can you tell me a little bit about that? (laughs) I think that that could be a growth area for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Hannah Ricks. Hello, Vanessa Casper and Ariana. I was just listening to your latest podcast and had to stop after hearing um, Percy's letter to record this voicemail. Um, Percy reminded me a lot of myself in my younger years. I grew up in a kind of fundamentalist, one true religion, and I am sure that I sent multiple friends similar letters that were really full of honest fear for their own well-being. Um, And then a few years ago, everything changed, and my husband and I found ourselves leaving the religion of our youth. And I was on the opposite end, that any time we were going to be in contact with family, I became fearful of receiving a letter like Percy's from them. Um, And it took several years to kind of get over that fear that when a card came in the mail, what was it going to say? Was it going to be a call to repentance? Um, Fortunately... (laughs) It never was, Um, but my blessing is to people who find themselves divided or split from their family based on strong beliefs, whether it's religion or politics or other things that can be really tricky to navigate. Uh, My blessing is for you to be kind to the Percy's in your life because sometimes they change. Um, A blessing to all of you. Bye. Hannah, thank you so much for that beautiful voicemail. It reminds me of a really tough moment that I had in divinity school. I was sort of having an academic debate, but there was actually a lot of emotion involved in it. I was arguing with a classmate of mine who is evangelical. And as a Jewish person, you are raised to never evangelize and never try to convert anybody else to your religion. And I was saying to him, like, who do you think you are to go around the world and be trying to change people? And he said to me, If you know something that can save people, you should be willing to crawl on your knees on glass around the world in order to save them. And it was a a real aha moment for me because there are things that I believe in that strongly, and I am not willing to crawl around the earth on my knees on glass for them, Mm. right? Like safe sex education. I think that that should be everywhere, and I don't sacrifice myself for it. And so I admire people who write these letters. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. I, I love this voicemail. And I know we had a number of people write in with similar reflections. So thank you, everyone. So Casper, it's now time for us to each bless a character from this week's chapter. I was really struck by this moment where in Trelawney's classroom, Pavati is clear that Trelawney is distressed. And she asks, what's wrong? You know, she she reaches out to ask a teacher if they're doing okay. And you know, I think anyone who crosses that kind of boundary to to ask, like, are you all right? Is there anything I can do? Um, it makes you vulnerable. Or something can be actually asked of you, which is sometimes even more scary, especially when it's someone who you're not used to caring for, but you're used to being cared by. And so my blessing is for Pavati and, and anyone who's showing their care and reaching out to ask if they can help. How about you, Vanessa? Well, my blessing is for Trelawney. Mm. She is in this like purgatory period of 
unknownness about where she's going to live, right? And I just would like to offer a blessing for anyone who feels like their life is outside of their own hands and that there is little to nothing that they can do about it and the stakes are high. It's just a terrible feeling. And my heart goes out to Trelawney in this moment. And she knows that the probation is only an excuse, right? Like she's being put through the machinery, but they've already decided. Right. And there's nothing worse than that. No, there really isn't. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Come and join the hundreds of people supporting us on Patreon and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail. Next week, we'll be broadcasting a live show from Cambridge, Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, through the theme of failure. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. That's you! Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are a podcast of Night Vale Presents, hosted by PRX. We'd like to thank Hannah Ricks for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Bridget Goggin, Danny Egan, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thank you all, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Casper, it is your turn to tell a story this week through the theme of supremacy. (laughs) 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 Sorry. So, Casper, it is your turn to tell a story this week through the the theme of supremacy. Hi. I'm sorry. I'm so unprofessional. Okay.